Welcome to Nerdy Optimism, where everyone has a story, with Dr. Q and Dr. J. Welcome to Nerdy Optimism. I am Dr. J. And I'm Dr. Q. Dr. Q, how's it going? It's going really well. How about you? I'm pretty good. Uh, New year, 2021. Uh, we're, we're just excited about everything that's going on. Man, super excited and super grateful to even make it to 2021. 2020 was a roller coaster, but 2021 came in like a whirlwind. So, you know, I feel like we got to buckle up and see what's going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So last week when we were talking, you asked me about my favorite concert and I've been reminiscing on it, thinking about Prince and the ticker tape and the cymbal guitar. And I was wondering, hey, Dr. J didn't tell me about his favorite concert. So Tell me, what's your favorite concert that you ever attended? You know, later on that day, I, I turned on some prints and started to listen to that Purple Rain, uh, Little Red Corvette. It, it's just a great, greatest hits album. I can only imagine how great that concert was. Pretty jealous to even know someone that actually went to a Prince concert. I mean, just mind blowing, mind blowing. It was great. Um, <laughs> so um, I've never witnessed Prince in concert, okay? But after some, some careful thinking about my greatest, my best concert, I started to think about um, uh, Maxwell, Jill Scott, uh, Babyface. He had a great concert. Jay-Z, Beyonce. I thought they all had great concerts. But after really, really giving it some thought, the best concert that I've been to, hands down, would have to be the one and only Sade. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was living in Indianapolis, got word that she was going to be performing. She wasn't performing anywhere close initially. Then they released some new dates and they added Nashville um, to the docket. So my, uh, my wife and I, we decided to take that trek to Nashville, have a good time and go to that concert. And I remember John Legend opened up for, uh, for Sade. And, and I was so excited. Side note, let me say this. John, I like John Legend, okay? It, I like him, but sometimes he kind of bores me, okay? Um, my... My LB wants uh, Marvin Short. What's up, man? Yo, yo. Uh, we were riding with him somewhere, uh, and he wanted to. He's like, "Hey, you guys want me to put that new John Legend in?" I was like, "Sure, why not?" He put that new John Legend in, and to this day, that was probably some of the best sleep that I've ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> he put that John Legend in, that new John Legend. So. Even with John Legend opening up for Sade, I was still just wired. And when John Legend was done, Sade came in and it was the most majestic feeling 
that I've ever had before in my life. Wow. Uh, she covered songs. She did her songs. Uh, it was just amazing. So if, if Sade was to do another concert again, I, I, I'm going to Ticketmaster and I am trying to get tickets to that concert. It was amazing. Wow. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You threw me off with the John Legend at first because I'm on the same train. Um, I mean, he's cool. I think his personality seems great, you know, from what I can see on media, but yeah. oh my goodness, I, I'm always bored. I mean, I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm going to keep my comments right there. I'm gonna, I will stop right there. Yeah, but yeah. Sade, oh. that sounds yeah. awesome. I've never had the pleasure of attending one of her concerts. So I'm going to keep my eye out. I'm going to keep my eye out on that. Absolutely. So let's keep it moving. So you got me giggling about John Legend. So I'll <laughs> look forward <laughs> to your nerdy reflection. And, 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 you know, and you know, let me say this before we get to nerdy reflection about John Legend. We use, we, my wife and I, we use his song as like one of our wedding songs. So it's not like I just hate the guy or don't like his music, but he's pretty boring. He's boring. Point so, blank. Like, he's just boring. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, shifting gears to uh, Nerdy Reflections for the week. Our guest this week, uh, Mr. Tyran Jackson. Uh, his story is one that will really just grab you and, and sit you down. You know, it, it really tugs at your heart and it also pushes you in a direction that you didn't want to go in uh, with that type of motivation. So uh, thinking about Tyran Jackson, thinking about his story, thinking about his interview, I had a nerd reflection all ready to share with you and I guess. And then I got to having a conversation with, with my wife about, I don't even know what, uh, she's actually the one in the household that, that read, that I guess read the most. <laughs> uh, she's reading all the time. She was telling me about this book that she was reading. And within that book, she started mentioning, uh, uh, the song, It Is Well In My Soul. Familiar yeah. with that song, that gospel song, the hymn? And so I was like, oh yeah, I, I like that song. People have uh, uh, did it different, various ways, different renditions, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and she was talking about how in the book that she was reading, how they talk about the origin of that song. Mm. Okay. And so she talks about the, the, uh, the writer of the song, how he, uh, like Tyran uh, Jackson, I guess today, had gone through some traumatic events in his life. Okay. Um, two in particular. One, he had lost his son, his young son, maybe two or three years old. Uh, two, uh, his house uh, was involved in one of those uh, traumatic fires, the Chicago fires that are, that's known in history yeah so with that he lost his son he lost his house and with losing his house he lost a lot of uh of property equity he just lost so much he had businesses that was tumbling um he he, he just didn't know where to turn so uh he and his wife and his four daughters 
and decided to uh, travel to England to, you know, get their mind off of things, to, to have a good time, to just try to recoup. Um, uh, right before they got ready to travel to England, um, something came up to where he had to, to step back and he had to wait. So he sent his wife and his daughters uh, along and he was going to catch up with them. Okay. Uh, you with me? I'm with you. Okay. And so maybe uh, the time frame, I don't know how long it took to get from the United States to England via boat at during that time. But while the wife and daughters are traveling to England, there's this crash and the boat goes down. Oh, wow. The four daughters perish. They died. The wife survived. Uh, she famously sent him a note that simply said, survived alone. He receives the message and he puts everything down. Uh, he, he, he is trying to frantically get to his wife. So in the midst of him uh, uh, trying to get everything together, he goes and get on the boat and he's traveling to England to uh, be with his wife as they've now lost their four daughters. And as he's traveling uh, to England, he comes to the place where the boat went down. He's in that place and he's able to realize where, where he's at. And he's sitting there and he's thinking about everything has, that has happened. And in that midst of that moment, he literally starts to write. And his first thing that he wrote was, and I'm going to read it to you. It is well. It is well. With my soul, with my soul, it is well. With my soul. He continues on. Though Satan should buffet through trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and how shed his own blood for my soul. And just thinking about everything that this guy was going through during that time and having that 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 strength to uh, uh, find strength from mm -hmm. uh, from from God and, and to be able to reassure himself and to be strong was just amazing. And to think about Tyran Jackson and how he had to fight and and come to that realization that everything is well within his soul just really just took me out. Uh, during uh, the interview and you guys will be able to hear that uh, also. So that was kind of my nerdy reflection for, for, for the week. Wow. So Dr. Q, um, before we hop into uh, Tyran, uh, can you share with us uh, nerdy stats for the week? Why certainly. Um, the story you just told uh, about the origin of that hymn that was really blowing my mind. It puts me in the mind of the story of Job. Um, mm -hmm. There's so much loss and still being able to trust and finding peace within yourself. It's, it's just so much. But um, I'll go on with my nerdy stat. And my stat is about grief and depression from a tragic loss. So Five to 9% of the population each year loses a close family member. And it is such a um, 
a tragic loss or a, a grieving process that um, each year, five to 9% of the population loses a close family member. And it's something that I spoke about when we had our interview with Rebecca and saying that within a three-year span, you can expect 50% of your neighbors to have experienced some type of loss. So it's something that can really put a shock to the system. But the grieving process is very uh, is a very common experience among humans. And we go through the same types of cycles. So we have this uh, stages of grief that you may have heard of and um, that you may study if you went to college or read a psychology book. But at first you have this denial and numbness that you feel. Then you come to the stage of bargaining, next depression, then you become angry and eventually you can get to acceptance. Now, I want to also point out that there are things that can get in the way of your healing process. So things that can impede your healing are things like avoiding emotions. And I can admit this is something that I'm guilty of. Sometimes I'll try to avoid emotions, compulsive behaviors, minimizing feelings, overworking on your job, or misusing some type of substance, uh, drugs, alcohol, or any other substance. So ways that you may be able to help yourself through that grief, acknowledging and accepting both your positive and negative feelings, allowing yourself time to experience those thoughts and feelings, and also finding a person that you can trust and confide in. Now, if the grief becomes too overwhelming, it is important that you seek professional help. So that's all I have for my nerdy stat. So it was nerdy stat with a little bit of advice. Well, definitely appreciate that, Dr. Q. Definitely. Um, I'm ready if you are. I am, and I, I think the audience will really enjoy Tyran. Uh, during this episode, I wasn't able to actually meet him and uh, interview him. I had um, a medical issue that is resolved now of my own, but I did not have the chance to meet him, but I listened to the interview. I think it's so impactful, and I think everyone will enjoy it. Let's bring him in. All right. Welcome back to uh, Nerdy Optimism. Uh, we have a great guest lined up for you uh, this evening. Um, uh, Brother Tyran Jackson is going to join us uh, as usual. The tagline, every, everyone has a story. And we uh, found it important to invite uh, Mr. Jackson in uh, today. And we're excited to have him share with us uh, in hopes that he may be able to inspire and hopes that he may be able to help someone uh, who's out there uh, in need. So uh, Tyran Jackson, we wanna welcome you uh, to Nerdy Optimism. Good afternoon, good afternoon, Dr. J. How are you? Good, 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 good. So um, my my sidekick, she's not here today, and we we normally uh, uh, sit down and try to uh, come up with potential guests and say there are 20, 30 names on the list, and we're trying to narrow it down. And one of the topics came up, and the, the topic of uh, trials and tribulations, uh, trauma, 
and, and I got to thinking about uh, uh, someone, uh, I didn't know uh, if, if you were someone that could come in and, and help us, but I just knew that your story was one that could potentially help. And, and let me, let me pull this up. And so when I was trying to decide uh, or relay to uh, Dr. Harvey, why I thought you would be uh, a, a great person uh, uh, to come on the show. Um, this is what I came up with uh, in, in my reading. Uh, strength doesn't just come from winning. Your struggles develop your strength. When you go through hardships and decide not to surrender, that is strength. Uh, Gandhi said that. And when I read that, I really, really was trying to find someone that could encompass that. And I kept coming back to Tyran Jackson. And so uh, your strength brother has been, you know, unreal. Uh, I, I think about you often. I uh, feel guilty, you know, extracting <laughs> your strength uh, to, push, to push us on, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I feel that uh, you, you're carrying that burden and we're so thankful uh, for you to be able to, to be able to come here and help so many people. So um, without further ado, we're going to give you uh, the floor uh, and let you start uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, telling us about your story. Okay, well, I appreciate that, Dr. J. And thank you for giving me the opportunity and time to, to talk about it. Um, first off, I want to start off by saying, for those who don't know me, I am Tyrann Jackson, and my story is, 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 a, is a touching story. It's a painful story, and um, as I go into it, it makes sense for those who aren't aware. Um, first off, um, I want to talk about uh, my life prior to a traumatic experience, which changed my life forever. Um, prior to, um, to the event that changed my life, I had a pretty good life, a, a good, uh, somewhat typical life. Uh, myself and my wife, Malika, uh, we, we went to college at Tennessee State University. And at that point, after we got out of school, we started our life, started our career. Um, we, we lived in Indianapolis for the first eight years of our lives together. Um, had you know, decent, decent starts of our career, started a family. Uh, she started out as a school teacher. Uh, moved on into higher education uh, and then got into a business area where she became uh, someone who was moving up in the, in the field of secondary education and then went on into human resources and was moving on as an executive with uh, in, in various uh, Fortune 500 companies as a diversity and inclusion director uh, as the years progressed. I myself, uh, I, I was a a pretty good student through school, started out as an engineer, was an engineer for, for a decent amount of time. Uh, for, for 17 years, I was a mechanical engineer working at different places. And throughout our journeys, uh, we, we lived in Indianapolis and moved to Atlanta a little over 10 years ago. Um, had a son, Cameron, uh, while we were in Indianapolis. And like I said, we, we, we lived a good life. We were uh, very, very kind-hearted people. Um, had a great relationship with one another, uh, had a great relationship with the Lord, uh, did what we could to help people out and to raise our son the way we thought fit. Um, 
everything was fine. We were, we were moving along well. Um, but uh, two years ago, uh, something happened that changed everything completely. Um, back in 2018, June of 2018, uh, my wife Malika and I, we were getting ready to celebrate our 15th anniversary. Um, and in doing so, we, uh, we had looked at a number of different options on what we wanted to do. Uh, we started planning ahead a couple of months in advance, decided we would go to an all-inclusive resort uh, in the Caribbean, in the Bahamas, um, because you know, we had been traveling in, in various areas in the, in, the, in the Caribbean before and thought that would be a good getaway uh, so we would be able to spend time together, uh, reconnect, because we were both very busy with our jobs. We both had jobs and were in situations where she may travel for work uh, for one week, and so I would be at home with my son, and, and so she would do her thing. The next week, I may have to schedule a trip where I'm gone. So we were, we were both very busy, and we wanted to make sure that we always had the time to connect, especially at that time of the anniversary. So, so, so we wanted to dedicate time to focusing on our relationship and just spending time together because we got to a point where our lives had gotten more and more hectic and busy. Um, with that said, uh, we, we decided to go to the Bahamas, um, to one of the, uh, to the island of Exuma, uh, to spend about five days there um, to, like I said, reconnect, enjoy, and celebrate our anniversary uh, in a relaxing, calming manner. Um, first uh, two days, I mean, we, we had us a great time. We're, we're bonding with each other and didn't think anything of it. Like a lot of us, we happened to uh, go and explore uh, different things when you're on that type of vacation. We thought one of the things that we would sign up to do was get on an excursion to tour the island. They offered an excursion in which it was a four-hour trip where you go around the island, see various sites, see iguanas, swim with the pigs, do a couple of little activities to familiarize yourself with the island, and just enjoy the lifestyle and enjoy the benefit of being away from, um, you know, the normal routine that we were experiencing. Um, didn't, like I said, didn't think anything of it. Woke up on a Saturday morning, headed to uh, the docking station where we were gonna board this boat. And we thought we were gonna have us another wonderful day in paradise. Um, and that's when things changed forever. Uh, Malika and I, we, we, we boarded a boat, small passenger boat. Uh, there were only 10 passengers on the boat uh, and two people who were responsible for the tour. And three minutes into it, everything seemed fine. And then all of a sudden it happened. Um, there was no indication, uh, but there was a, an explosion. Uh, I remember having my arm over Malika uh, while we were just admiring the beautiful scenery. And then the next thing I remember, I was on a boat that was burning up laying flat, fat, flat, face down, flat uh, on my stomach and not aware of what happened. Um, at that point, everything changed. Uh, and without going too deep into it, um, I, I found myself at a place where I'm physically, I knew that something was wrong. But when something happened so suddenly like that, you don't have a grasp of what's really going on. Um, I finally came to, my right leg was burning. I saw my left foot 
disjointed from my, the rest of my leg. And as I tried to push myself up off the deck of the boat, I couldn't do it. And at that time, I didn't know my left collarbone was broken in three places. Uh, and I couldn't, couldn't stand up. Um, and and I, I, was, I was in a position never thought I would be in. Uh, I found myself um, trying to uh, basically pull with my right hand and get my fingers between the, 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 the wedges on the surface of the deck just to try to drag myself to the edge of the boat away from the fire. Uh, at that point in time, I didn't know what happened to Malika. I didn't know what happened to anybody else because I was the only person on this boat. And there happened to be a second boat that was going on the same tour that was probably about 30 or so yards away from us. Since it was so soon after we all had actually left, they were still within relatively close distance. So I could hear people yelling, get off the boat, get off the boat. But like I said, I couldn't push myself up. I couldn't walk. I couldn't crawl. And as I dragged myself towards the edge of the boat, I passed out. And so uh, luckily, um, there were people from the other boat who were able to swim over to grab me and pull me off before the boat uh, burnt to, to ashes. So that's what saved me. Um, However, at that point in time, I was in a horrible state and all I could think about is, where's Malika? What happened to Malika? Because I didn't see her in the midst of all of this. Um, eventually, I was, I was carried off of the boat, passed out about three more times between getting off of the boat and getting, getting onto the next boat and getting carried to shore. And, um, Eventually, it led to, uh, they had no ambulances here. Keep in mind, this is a third world country. Things just didn't seem, it's not what we would expect here. Um, so I was placed on some, uh, basically sheets of plywood on the back of a pickup truck, riding on a bumpy road, um, trying to get to a uh, on this island. And, and at that point in time, I didn't know. I, I kept asking some of the other people from the other boat, what about my wife? What about Malika? And they told me that she was, you know, that, that she survived, that she was okay, or that she was gonna be okay too. And they were telling me the same thing. I, I was worried about my physical state, but I was more worried about her. Fast um, forward, uh, eventually I get to this clinic and apparently she was on another truck that was carrying her to the same clinic too. And she had gotten there before me and they took me into a private bay and in there I could hear her cause she was in a bay too. She was already there when I got there. All I could hear were her moans and her yells because she was in pain and serious pain and, and, and they wouldn't tell me anything um, other than that she's gonna be okay and all I was thinking, despite all of my physical pain, I was just hoping that my wife was in better condition than I was. Um, so I'll try to silence myself to be able to listen as closely as I could to wonder how my wife was doing after that accident. Um, as I was laying in my, 
in the bed that I was in at that point in time, um, one of the one of the uh, nurses at this clinic came to me and said, "Okay, we we can't treat you here. We need to get you to a better hospital. So we're going to put you on a plane and fly you to Nassau, where they had better treatment, and that they might be able to address your injuries in a better fashion." Um, at this point, as I stated, my left foot was dangling off the uh, base of my ankle and my leg. Um, I didn't know everything else that was wrong. I couldn't move. I, I, I was seriously immobilized physically. But all I kept asking was, what about my wife? And they said, well, you and there was one other young lady who was injured pretty badly. They said they were going to send the two of us to this other hospital and that Malika would come later. So my question to them was, oh, so that means that I've got it worse than my wife does. So she must be, you know, in better state, condition than I, was, than I was in. And they told me, yeah, that uh, she'll be coming later. She'll be coming later. So I get on this, they, they put me on the plane, fly me to this other hospital. Uh, they have better treatment than what they had at this clinic. Uh, they start going through taking all of my vitals, going through uh, and, and checking, you know, putting me through x-rays and scans to see how badly I was damaged and everything. And all I could think about and all I kept asking once I got to this other hospital was, where is my wife? Is she coming? Is she on the plane right behind me? Or did they have to fly the plane back to Exuma to get her and come back? And... All they said was, sir, don't worry. We're gonna try to take the best care of you that we can. And before I knew it, they put me under anesthesia and I was going into surgery. They said they were trying to operate on my left foot to see if you know, they could reattach it and get it back together. So about four or five hours passed by and, and eventually I wake up from the surgery and the first thing that I wonder when I wake up is, what about Malika? Is she here yet? And at that point, I wake up in the ICU bed, um, and the doctors that are in there, they leave the room. And I'm like, okay, why are they leaving? What is going on? I'm still, I'm not, I don't have my senses together at this point. Um, but I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm still in shock for everything that had happened. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on with my wife because I'm under the impression that she must not be damaged as badly as I am, but that she was going to be coming there too. So I was going to see her and I, I was thinking that I would be okay because I made it through the surgery and that she was going to be okay too. Um, after about five minutes, the doctors came back in and they told me that Malika didn't make it, that she died at the other clinic, but they didn't want to tell me before I had to go into surgery and before I had to go through all these other things. So here I am, probably about 6 or 7 p.m. on this day. Um, I've gone through a, you know, a unexpected tragic event I'm physically in a state where I don't know how, if I, I don't know if I'm gonna survive. I've never been into anything like this before. And, and I had to 
hear the news that the person that I chose, the woman that I wanted to be with for the rest of my life and have been with for 17 years at that point in time, that she had died. And to come to, to even take that news in a perfect physical state would be a shock. To think that I went here to the Bahamas for a celebration and to acknowledge a great um, moment in time with the woman that I love and for it to turn out in this situation where she passed away and I was on the verge of dying um, was a, it was, it was unfathomable. And I found myself in the lowest point that I'd ever been in in my life from a mental standpoint, emotional standpoint, physical standpoint, and praying to God, but spiritually I'm broken. So to have to process this when it went from everything being perfect to I don't even know what's going to happen next, but my, my, my soulmate, my special person is just like that taken away from me was, was beyond traumatic. Um, and at that point, I, was, I felt helpless. I felt lonely. Uh, keep in mind, I didn't have, it wasn't like any family was there or anything. It was just me and Malika, and Malika was gone. And here I am, out of the country. I don't know who knows what. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. I can't do anything. Physically, I can't do anything. Emotionally, I'm just broken. And, and I'm, I'm in a state of mind that was beyond despair. Um, so so that, that was the event that triggered, you know, the, 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 the breakdown to, my, uh, to the core for me. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, it was, it, that, was, that was the lowest point. Um, fast forward, uh, because I know I don't want to take up all the time, but you know, I, I, the next day, as I was there in the Bahamas, um, I was getting worse. I was declining. My, mm -hmm. my heart rate was increasing even more. My blood pressure shot up. My temperature went to 104, and I could see the, the, the monitor over the bed that measures your vitals go from green to yellow to red. And I found myself laying there and thinking to myself, God, this is, this is, this is how I'm going to die. You, you, I'm, I can actually see myself dying here. Um, I had to do the mo one of the most difficult things ever, which was to call my brother-in-law because that's who Cameron was staying with in Nashville um, and, and talk to Cam and tell him that his mother died. He thought his parents went away on vacation to celebrate their anniversary and were going to come back. It wasn't the first time that we had done that, that we'd gone on vacation and, you know, he gets to spend time with the family and all this well comes back. But to call him and tell him that your mom is not going to make it back and try to tell him at that point in time that 
I was going to be okay. And yet I didn't know if I was going to be okay was, was, was extremely painful. Hmm. So that was the lowest point that I was at. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I, as I fast forward, um, after three days, after two days, um, a lot of things were working in the background. Uh, some of my family was able to uh, get notified immediately due to um, the help of some people who were on the tour with us um, and were able to get to the Bahamas that next day. And there were certain people in liaisons who were able to organize uh, a special air ambulance and a trauma unit in Fort Lauderdale, Florida that would accept me because the Bohemian government and the, uh, the hospital, they did not want me to leave the Bahamas. Yet it was evident that I wasn't getting any better there and that they couldn't treat what I happened to have, uh, all the injuries that I had. Um, as I mentioned, uh, my left leg was dislodged from, my foot was dislodged from my leg. And as I was getting carried from the boat, it was in water, it was exposed, it got infected. And then it attached it or tried to while I was in the Bahamas. Well, what that did was cause infection to spread up through the rest of my body. And that's what was causing a lot of the other virus to start to go. Um, luckily, by that second day, by that second night, I was in a trauma unit in Florida and they, after they evaluated me, they said to my sister who was there that we have to do what we need to for him to live because he, he, in the next uh, 12 to 24 hours, if we do nothing, he's gonna die. And so at that point, they started operating. They had to remove my left leg. Uh, over the course of the next two weeks, I went through eight different surgeries just to physically try to get back to a point <clears throat> I could be functional one day. Mm-hmm. At that point, it wasn't known if I would walk. It wasn't known how I would heal. Um, and, and so, but that's just the physical portion. Emotionally, I was, I, was, I, I was trying to come to grips with the fact that she was gone and that my life was going to be different from, you know, that point forward. So, um, so, so it, I went through a lot going through just that. And as I moved forward, I had to, had to, to, to understand how to breathe as I was still trying to face these physical challenges of healing and trying to, you know, get myself back to a state where I could just, like I said, be functional because I still knew I had to get to a point where I could support my son. I could do the things I needed. Right. So, uh, Give us a a, a, a timeline. Uh, uh, two days after the, the the tragedy, you ended up in Florida. Yeah, so correct. Accident happened on June the thirtieth, twenty eighth. Mm-hmm. Um, on January the second, I was flown from the Bahamas to Florida. Um, I was in the hospital in Florida for two weeks. So mm-hmm. on um, July the 15th, I was uh, removed from or, or 
discharged from the hospital. At that point, I was in a wheelchair. Uh, my left leg had been removed. It was in a brace to sort of, you know, keep my the remainder of my leg in a position. My right foot had been broken, so it had been operated on. They had to put screws in there. Uh, my left leg had to go through various skin uh, replacements and surface treatments because I had second-degree burns all down my leg. I had a fractured pelvis, uh, fractured vertebrae. Uh, my collarbone was broken in several places. They had to put a titanium plate and screws in there. Um, I had uh, burn marks on my ear and neck that they had to treat. So I, there were a number of different physical um, things that they, they, they needed, operations that they had to do in order to at least try to put me back together. Um, so when I left the hospital uh, and for the first six weeks out of there, uh, all I could really do was use my right hand and my right arm. Mm -hmm. my, in a sling, my arm was in a sling, my right foot was in a cast, my left leg was gone. So it's like, okay, I, I had to come to grips with being in a physically helpless state. Um, so, so I was either pushed around, the most that I could do was basically push myself off of a bed onto a wheelchair. And then somebody had to push me. <clears throat> couldn't use my left arm to move around. So, so at, go ahead, go, Dr. J. So at, at this point, mentally, are you aware of your emotions at this at this moment uh when when you're needing that extra assistance like have you had a chance to process your emotions i guess so so i didn't really have a chance to process i didn't have a chance to properly process my emotions um when i was in the hospital in the bahamas and in florida I was going through so much physical uh, stress and pain and on so many different types of medication that I wasn't thinking clearly and straight. I didn't appetite. I couldn't eat. I lost 30 pounds in the course of about two weeks because of, you know, I just wasn't eating and all of these things were going on. Uh, I would find myself um, two things. One, crying a great deal because I knew that I lost Malika. I did that. It hadn't sunk into me completely, but I knew that she was no longer with me. And then secondly, uh, I had PTSD. And as I tried to sleep, I kept seeing that state of waking up on that boat and feeling that burning sensation. And, you know, just trying to piece together what was, what I thought I remember, because when it actually happened, it was a blur. Everything was a blur. So I kept going back to this state and it would bring me to even a worse state of mind uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm already, you know, saddened by the loss. Physically, I'm not myself. I don't know what the future holds. It was like, you know, it was, it was so many burdens that I was facing and mentally and emotionally, I know I was losing myself. I was going into a state of depression because I couldn't move. My wife was gone. 
I don't know what my son is going to think when he sees me, or I don't even know if I'm going to be able to, like I said, function in order to take care of him. So it was, it, it took a while for me to be able to get to a point where I could finally process my emotions because uh, even, even there were, there were counselors in the hospital in Florida that were saying, you know, need to focus on getting through this, these surgeries, this physical, you know, right. just that you're just to live and survive. So that needed to be first priority, but you know, I knew my wife was gone and it's like, okay, I have to, I have to deal with that sadness. And, and because I mean, you, you, you don't realize how reliant and dependent you are on somebody that you have there for a course of, we were together for 17 years. Right. That's not something that you just all of a sudden take away and, you know, be able to adapt to. So, um, so yeah, so there was a lot packed into what I had to deal with in that short term because it was a great deal of change. And then on top of that, I was immobile and I couldn't do things physically at all. So said I, I, I had to worry about the, the mindset of my son, even though he wasn't physically there. What is he thinking? What is going through his head? Um, so, mm-hmm. so those were, there were a lot of challenges uh, associated with that. Right. So at what, at what point did you come to the realization that things, things, things will be different? Uh, I guess when I think of you, I think of, uh, for lack of better words, I think of, I think of a winner. And as I mentioned, the Aristotle quote, uh, I think of someone who, uh, who, who wants to win, who will win. And so in, that, in those moments to where you're, I guess maybe having, did you have any guilt in, in the thought that, hey, I, I'm not going to be able to win this game, uh, and I've always won. I've always done uh, uh, the green check marks, yeah. uh, and this particular task is something that I'm not going to be able to accomplish. Uh, what was that thought process like? Yeah. There, I'll be honest. There were times where I didn't know what what was going to happen, what was to come. Um, I was concerned my whole time while I was in the hospital and trying to just get through that phase of the, the, the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I got, to, I got back to Nashville. After I was discharged from the hospital, I had to uh, go somewhere and essentially rest and heal for about six weeks. So I went to live with my sister in Nashville and so I was put on another air ambulance and flown um, from, from Fort Lauderdale to Nashville and placed into the bed that I was going to be in essentially for the next six weeks. Once I got there and started processing things, that's mm-hmm. hit me that, okay, that I've had a tremendous setback and I'm still I'm not sure as to what's to come and what's going to happen next. But I've got to find a way to get through this. I've got so much that I still, that's still relying on me as far as making sure my son is okay and doing whatever I need to 
to get back on my feet, literally. Um, so, so as I was beginning to move to a step of the, the early steps and stages of acceptance of mm -hmm. what I, I, I had to tell myself. And, and as I was praying through, you know, God, get me through this. I don't know why this had to happen to us, but help me get to the other side. I knew that I had to do everything in my power to be able to physically be back to a state where I could at least one day move and walk. And you know, the, the first step was to get to a point where I could use crutches. Then I wouldn't yeah. rely on, you know, being bound to a wheelchair. Secondly, I knew I had to take uh, the, the physical portion, the physical therapy and occupational therapy and all of these things that I was actually doing uh, after I got out of the hospital uh, in order for me to get to that state where I could hopefully be able to move on my own again. So I had to take treat that as if it was the most important thing in my life at that point in time. I almost had to overcome the guilt and the grief that I was feeling for what happened to my wife in order to stay focused on just getting through that phase. Once I got through to a point where I was able to at least put weight on my right leg and put mm -hmm. crutch under my mm -hmm. left arm and move again, um, I started to uh, even further process and ask myself, how am I gonna get past this? I, I feel like I'm strong, but I need help in order to deal with this. So after that six weeks and after I was cleared to be able to uh, use crutches at that point, uh, I was going to be brought back to Atlanta. And I had reached out to my, uh, my, my doctor and said, even before then, I was like, look, I've gone through something tremendous and I need somebody who can help me deal with the grief and being able to, to get as the emotional aspects and the, the, the mental uh, trauma that, that I've gone through. And I needed to do it with my son too because his whole life has changed as well. So as soon as we got back here, uh, we, we got with a therapist who on a weekly basis was helping to guide us through processing what happened and get us to a point of acceptance and being able to look ahead to what life was going to be like and how to, how to not completely suppress the emotions of what happened, to, but to understand the emotions and best suit ourselves and place ourselves to be able to move forward productively. Um, that, that, was, that, was, that was different because I had never gone through therapy before from, from that standpoint. But as I stated before, I, I was having to fight off depression I had the PTSD. I didn't know what I was going to be able to do. I didn't know what my future looked like. And so um, with the help of, of, a, of a great therapist, uh, it, it helped me get to a point where I could at least start putting the pieces together and start processing um, what happened, how I was going to need to accept it, and what the next chapter of my life was going to look like. I'm now a single dad who has a son who, you know, has a lot of emotional uh, baggage that he has to face and deal with because there aren't too many 12-year-olds you know, who 
lose their mom in something that is, you know, international news story and suddenly just like that. So, um, so yes, yeah, so there was, there was a lot that had to be uh, talked through and pulled out and helped me to be able to, um, you know, just be able to get myself back to where I was a functional and productive individual again, and not someone who was so sad for themselves and sad for what happened that, uh, that, that I couldn't do anything for myself. So, mm -hmm. that was, so, that was key. so we, we're going to fast forward to, to today. Uh, how are you doing today? And, and how's Cam doing? Um, today, today we're, we're things, things have gotten better. Um, the, the, the adage that things get better with time, uh, mm -hmm. has happened here. Uh, we both have grown emotionally. We've grown closer to one another. Uh, we, we, we have each other. We have to rely on each other. So that strengthened the bond between the two of us. Uh, we, we've gone through so many talks about Malika and, you know, as he's growing up as a teenager, he's learning to deal with his emotions better and express and articulate those emotions more so. Uh, with that, that allows for the opportunity for us to, you know, have deep conversations to understand what triggers are still there and what things we can do in order to best, you know, continue to move forward well. Um, he's doing he's doing well right now. I mean, in the midst of these times, I mean the with COVID and, and all, it's, it's obviously changed the way that, that we all live and, and it impacted him from being able to get into a normal space because um, for a while school was, was a struggle for him because he couldn't focus. He couldn't, you know, he, he wasn't always mentally there and that's understandable. So um, that first year was was very rough because it was, you know, the life that he knew it was no longer there. The, the woman who he loved and trusted and knew his mom was was gone. So so it was it was difficult to get through those times, both from an emotional and from a mental and social standpoint. But it was important that he still did some things that were normal to him. Uh, he played football and he he kept doing that after it happened. And there was something that was beneficial about him being with his friends and teammates and doing something structured that that took his mind off of what happened. But at the same time, the, the coaches and the other people within the community really kept an eye on him when I couldn't and made sure that, you know, that, that they kept their finger on the pulse of how he was doing and would notify me and let me know if there was anything that seemed a little bit different about him so I could be you know, as, as, as in control or aware of what was going on with him. Um, he's, he's over two years, things have gotten much better. He's in high school now, doing good in school, still playing sports, uh, getting a, a, his own personality even more so, uh, growing into a young man uh, that his mother would be proud of and I'm proud of as well. Um, so, so awesome. well with him. And I'm proud because he's had to show a tremendous amount of strength. Uh, sometimes the strength and the motivation that I had to keep fighting and keep keep pushing came from me seeing him. Uh, 
he has been very resilient throughout this. And I think I would have been resilient with everything that happened trying to bounce back from it. Uh, so I think we, were, we, we gained strength from one another. Mm-hmm. And we're able to move forward, have been able to move forward since that time. So after you were able to put your oxygen on first, uh, pun not intended, uh, something was born out mm-hmm. of uh, the ashes, out of the tragedy, uh, uh, out of the videos of you progressing day to day, showing your strength, uh, reborn, resilient, uh, uh, arrived. Uh, can you tell our audience a little about the, 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 the origin of that and how reborn resilient can possibly help somebody else? Definitely. By all means. Uh, what Reborn Resilient is, is, is the platform that I use in which I take the story of what I've gone through since that tragic day and chronicle my story and, and use it to create a blueprint in which I help coach others and, and, and help inspire others to get through whatever crisis and struggles that they face. Um, in the midst, and, and as I was going through this whole process, I started journaling because that was one thing that allowed me to try to keep track of my emotions and what I was feeling as, as the days were progressing and keeping, keeping sight on what was my motivation, what was driving me, what did I need to do in order to just take the next step, literally, and to move from, you know, being bedridden, to being able to move on crutches and to be able to figure out how to, you know, do something as simple as, you know, take my son and handle some of the responsibilities that Malika was doing. What do I need to do? That focus, what was that blueprint? Reborn Resilient describes the blueprint that I used in order to get back to a, a, not just a productive state, but a state where I'm thriving. Uh, I knew I couldn't go back to the life that I had before. I essentially had to close that chapter of my life and figure out what my new chapter was going to be. It was starting something anew. Um, my, um, I, was, I was essentially reborn in a sense because the life that I had was not going to be the life that I had going forward. Um, I'm in the midst of figuring things out. I realized that there was a purpose that was given to me and more that I needed to do in this world. And part of that purpose was to be able to touch and help people going through their own crisis. So I use Reborn Resilient to uh, speak to groups as well as individuals who are going through their level of tragedy and adversity and whatever challenges that they may be facing. Uh, we've all been in the state of despair. Maybe it's different levels, but we've all been in a state where, you know, we may ask ourselves or think to ourselves, you know, this is the worst, you know, state I could possibly be in. And, and when you're in that point, sometimes you feel helpless. I use Reborn Resilient as my means of being able to help others get out of that state of helplessness and be able to 
figure out what steps they need to take to create their own blueprint in order to get back to a state where they can move forward with their life. So uh, with Reborn Resilient, um, I've done several things. It started out as being, you know, something like this, asked to share my story in front of a group uh, to, to hopefully, you know, provide some inspiration. And it grew from there. In pre-COVID, uh, I was using this to, to speak and, and be a keynote speaker in various areas. And now it's been, grown, it's been growing and transforming into a online platform, uh, situations where I have one-on-one -on -one, um, meetings and conversations with people to help understand the source of their crisis and figure out how to overcome that. And, and so uh, it's, it's my way of being able to fulfill my purpose, which is using the tragic event that happened to me as a means of inspiration for others. Awesome, awesome. Um, and, and, and again, individuals, groups, businesses, yes. uh, athletic teams, uh, all of the above, I think, could uh, benefit from this platform, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's, that's who the target audience is. In addition to uh, those who support individuals going through this. So, um, so counselors, doctors, nurses, anyone from a medical uh, um, administrative world who have to deal with clients who are going through emotional or mental trauma that they're facing. Um, even those who are going through just any type of transition in their life where they've come to a realization that their life in the past is not what it is going forward. Uh, there have been cases where there have been professional athletes who have to come to grips with the fact that they're not playing their sport anymore and that they have to go on to something else. It can be difficult to, to realize that the life that I knew before is not the life that I have in front of me. And we're all, we all may not think that we're equipped to be able to deal with that, but that's where the resiliency comes from. We all have a level of that. And sometimes it's just being able to, to figure out how to pull that resiliency out and create the path in, in which you can design your, your life moving forward. Mm -hmm. so, so that's, that's what uh, Reborn Resilient is. It, it looks to be able to find the strength from within, which we all happen to have, and use it to make ourselves uh, be the best versions of ourselves going forward. You've been so gracious with your time. Just a couple more questions, if, that, if that's no okay. Dr. J, go for it. Um, uh, I, can you tell the audience about the uh, Malika Jackson uh, Foundation? Yes, yes. Um, my wife Malika, she was a she was she was a she was a shining star. She was a wonderful person. Uh, anybody who knew her uh, knew that that she had a vibrant personality, uh, a, a big beautiful smile, and <clears throat> loved to help and care for others. Uh, she was a big proponent in education, and uh, she had went back to school, got several master's degrees after undergrad, and for a period of time, uh, one of her functions was to uh, help college students who may not have a clear direction figure out what they wanted to do. And so she would, she would, she would 
do a great deal in helping design career paths for others. Well, with, with that value in education and wanting to help um, others find their path, um, and she had always said that, you know, Ty, one day I want to have a foundation. Uh, and, and so in honor of her, uh, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that, that she had, that her legacy was continuing, was that we would create a Malika, Malika Jackson uh, scholarship endowment that uh, would be for students who were, um, you know, wanting, who, who were needing, you know, assistance to matriculate through school and wanted to actually work on figuring out what they wanted to do because uh, we've all been there and stayed in college and then sometimes we may question what we're there for, but uh, sometimes a little bit of help is what's needed. So um, initially at Tennessee State where we went to school, we created the foundation or at least honored the first scholarship within the foundation uh, and I'm building that beyond and, and using her name and legacy to be able to generate money for students uh, right now in the Southeast uh, at various universities. But I know that she would want to be able to help others in need. And that seemed to be the appropriate way for her uh, legacy to be carried on and help others who want to better themselves through college and through entering their early stages of their careers. So, um, so with that, there's a nonprofit that's been created, uh, the Malika Jackson uh, Scholarship Foundation. And, and I have uh, various activities that are scheduled throughout the year or had been scheduled throughout the year before we had all these changes in order for those to be able to donate and contribute to it. Um, at this point in time, uh, the best way to find out more about it is to go to my website, uh, www.rebornresilient.com, and be able to find out information for anyone who wants to contribute or donate and learn more about her legacy and, and, and who she was. Because I want to make sure that, you know, that, that her passing wasn't in vain and that you know, even though she's not here, she can still help others. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, we'll, we'll definitely uh, have your, your website information, just your information in general on our website to kind of funnel the listeners uh, to Reborn Resilient. They can find out definitely information about you and uh, uh, Malika Jackson uh, endowment, see how they could provide support for that. Uh, yeah, echo what, what you said about uh, Malika Jackson, a beautiful, wonderful person, uh, uh, memories uh, of, of her in Indianapolis where I met you guys. Uh, were, were bountiful. Uh, I often tell the story of uh, when you guys decided to leave Indianapolis, uh, it was like a domino effect. It was a, a trickle down. It was at that moment that I felt like it wasn't Indianapolis anymore. Uh, it was at that moment that uh, it life kind of took a, a different ship. You know, uh, you guys kind of started that process of leaving and then everyone else started to follow. Uh, uh, it's just amazing how uh, someone that you don't keep in contact with on a day-to-day -day basis can have such an impact uh, on your life. And I think that Malika was one of those people that you, you didn't you didn't touch her, you didn't see her, but the yeah. impact was there, uh, everlasting. Uh, and so uh, 
definitely thank you for, for sharing that information about uh, the no problem. Not a problem. Yeah. Um, man, your 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 words today have have, have been uh, amazing. Uh, your words have been refreshing, uh, powerful, and uh, courageous. I hope that someone out there that uh, having uh, trouble uh, gaining their strength or uh, uh, someone out there that's trying to be reborn um, can listen to your words uh, and, and, and if they don't contact you, at least channel uh, some of uh, your stories and, 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 and some of your strength to help them uh, get to that next phase in their life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, everyone has a story and this is your story, but um, Unfortunately, a lot of us go through uh, grief and, and, and tragedy uh, and how you were able to pivot and maneuver and come out on the other side. Uh, we, it, it, I mean, it's, 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 it's a miracle. I don't know <laughs> no other way to, to describe it. Um, it's, it's, it's a freaking miracle, man. And so uh, uh, we at Nerdy Optimism are uh, grateful for having you on today. And um, um, I just want to say thank you, man. No problem, Dr. J, man. I, I appreciate it. And I'm honored to be able to be a part of the Nerdy Optimism uh, of this podcast and just to be able to, to, to share and reach others. And, and hopefully, as you stated, as this story can resonate and, and lead others to want to either uh, reach out to me to find out more, or like you said, be able to to take a look at themselves and be able to assess what they need to do to to, to pull the strength to get through any difficult situation that they're facing. So, um, thank you for the opportunity. All right.